0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. So we continue in our study of this uh, tremendous uh, book um, known as a, uh, a sermonic uh, letter. Uh, just as a, a recap, we've talked about this before, but uh, for those who have not been with us or um, just as a refresher, uh, this is a, a letter, but it doesn't have some of the uh, characteristics of a, a letter. In other words, there's no uh, dear you know, whoever uh, at, the, at the beginning, so we're never told specifically who. The recipients are, although almost uh, universally scholars uh, recognize that this was written to Jewish believers in in the first century, uh, most likely in Jerusalem, uh, also those who were uh, in the midst of a a period of of persecution. Uh, Most scholars believe it was written to the Jewish believers that was uh, just a a couple of years uh, before the the temple in Jerusalem was, was destroyed. Uh, and so uh, there was uh, a growing community of Christ followers, and, and yet a, a strong community of of, um, of Jewish uh, uh, community as well. The uh, the writer we have absolutely no idea who the writer is. Uh, people speculate, people postulate, people even claim to know, but there is no identification that is is written here. Uh, and the writer writes to encourage a people to continue in faith. And that has a ongoing uh, implications, not just for the original readers, but for us as well. We come to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read, uh, look through all 40 verses. Um, I wanna do a deep dive into every person that is mentioned here, so buckle up. I'm just, kid- I'm just kidding. Um, some people are sweating already. Some people are not here because they anticipated that. No, we're gonna, uh, but, you know, but we, we want to glean from what God has to speak to us. I'm gonna read uh, just the first three verses right now as we begin, uh, and yet we're gonna be considering the, the whole of the, of the book, this, the, the chapter this morning. Hebrews 11, verse one, hear the word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it, The people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created uh, by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this word, we do pray that you would speak to us, uh, that you would not only uh, grant us understanding in our mind, but that you would uh, prick uh, and shape and renew our hearts. You would fortify us with the faith that belongs to those to whom you give it. You would enable us to find our hope and be rooted in Christ Jesus in who he is and what he has done on our behalf. Lord, strengthen us and renew us, we pray, both for our joy and for your glory. We pray this and all things in Christ in whom we live and breathe and have our being. Amen. It's easy to believe when things are going well, when things seem to be going our way. But it's a little more difficult in the midst of challenges. Uh, And yet it's in the midst of challenges that we need to rest on our faith. It's also in the midst of difficulties and challenges that most of us find out what it is that we actually believe, at least at that given moment. Maybe not uh, intellectually only, but what we are functionally believing in because as we lean, there's a stress, there's a pressure. And many times, depending on the intensity, we find ourselves wanting. We find ourselves saying, I believe, and, and at the same time, we're wondering, why is that belief not seem to be enough? And, and it's to that kind of situation that the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who are experiencing persecution, people who were tempted to fall away, people who were in the midst of a community seeing others who were falling away from the faith in order to uh, depressurize or, or lower the intensity of the persecution and the oppression they were experiencing. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to them and saying it's important that we understand not only what faith is, but uh, but where we are in relation to our faith. And so this morning, as we consider Hebrews chapter 11, a chapter in the Bible that is often referred to as the great faith chapter, a number of commentators have noted that What 1 Corinthians 13 is to love, Hebrews 11 is to faith. In other words, they're often read, there's a place to to turn to in order to kind of get our our definition and get our bearing and understanding um, what it means. And so Hebrews chapter 11 teaches us a a lot about faith. And as I already mentioned, it's it's a long chapter. There's 40 verses in in my library. I have a, a book by Puritan Thomas Manton with 65 chapters, which come from the messages, 65 messages that he did on this chapter alone. Uh, but we're not gonna get into that kind of depth uh, this morning. Uh, what I wanna do is more of a, of a flyby. And the reason for that is as the uh, the, the, the note, the introduction to this chapter for the, in the gospel transformation Bible says is this, is we sometimes do not see the forest because we are intently looking at the trees. So it is with this, this great faith chapter it's easy to get lost in the details and miss the big picture. And so that's why I want to do kind of the flyby or the flyover, the kind of the idea of people that live on one coast or go to the other. And they just kind of fly over uh, certain territories. Now, if you're flying low enough, you're able to see significant landmarks and to know where you are. That's what I hope to, to do this morning, but you don't see the details. But my hope is that by doing this flyover, by looking at, at the forest this morning, that you will gain enough, gain insights that will benefit you as you read through this verse by verse uh, on your own. I've also had thoughts and just at least preliminary, we've, we've considered coming back to this chapter next summer and maybe making this our summer series. And at that point, we'll delve in and dig into the people that we find mentioned here. Uh, but this morning, we, we want to see what Hebrews chapter 11 teaches us in, in the broad strokes. And as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, there's a simple, a very simple uh, message that permeates this this chapter from verses 1 through 40. And it is that we are called and we are empowered to live by faith in God's grace and in God's promise and in God's provision. You see this chapter over and over and over again, the, the sentences or the ideas begin with, by faith, and then he makes a Uh, 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 and gives an example uh, to us of what faith is and what faith looks like. And then the author, as he writes, he gives us a a number. He really seems to personify faith. He doesn't just define it and talk about it in, you know, detached academic ways. He he gives an example of where faith is necessary, and then he gives an example from history of somebody who exemplifies, who demonstrates what that faith uh, looks like. So as we do this overview this morning i want to do so in in two parts we're going to look at it first as faith defined and then second we're going to look at faith displayed so let's begin with faith defined it's important that we understand what faith is and and why it's important and its significance to our lives the bible teaches us that we are saved we are reconciled to god that we are declared righteous we are justified that that happens by God's grace through faith and through faith alone. In our Reformed tradition, we cling to that and we emphasize that and we even have significant bullet points that we uh, communicate uh, to people in order that we would remember that salvation begins with God and is accomplished by God and we are the beneficiaries of what God has done. And we teach that just the justification or that our salvation uh, comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And we understand this because we are taught by Scripture alone. Those of you who are familiar with the Reformed tradition, we, know, we call these the, the solas of the Reformation. meaning these things, the word sola from from Latin meaning alone, there's just this series of things that it just emphasizes what God has done and what God is doing and is calling us to believe in order that we might experience what God has promised. But what we need to recognize too is that faith itself is not the substance. And that's important for us to to note because there are some as they, they teach and a lot of the people on, on TV and the TV preachers, uh, it's, it's about faith, 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 but their definition of faith, they, they, they change the nature of, of what faith is, at least as the scripture's teaching. And, and they, they kind of have faith in faith, and, but faith is not the substance itself. And the writer of Hebrews speaks of it as, as, as a substance because it's the tangible thing, it's the very thing. It's not that there is no substance to faith, but faith actually enables us to appropriate something else. So in other words, we're saved by God's grace through faith. That's the means by which we get the faith. I illustrate it this way so that we understand. If, if our salvation was a smoothie, faith is a straw. It's the way that we are able to drink in. It's the way that we are able to gulp the grace that God gives to us that saves us, that reconciles us to him and to enable us to to live in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. So it's not that there is nothing to it, that it doesn't really exist or it's just a concept. Faith is not just a concept. There is a substance to it, but we are not saved by the faith itself. We are saved by the substance of what faith gives us, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. God's provision God's promise. And it's important that we understand that because faith always points us away from ourselves to God and to what God has done and what God has promised. The writer of Hebrews says, look, faith, in verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith tells us that even though we may not be feeling something, that doesn't mean it's not reality. Even if we are not presently experiencing something, at least that we are able to, to uh, the way that we're able to tangibly measure, it doesn't mean God's promises are untrue. We believe, based upon what God has promised and what God has, has done, And the faith itself is the assurance that we have. Are we believing? In other words, are you using the straw? That's the way that you're able to get what it is. It is conviction. It is the the assurance of things that we cannot measure in a tangible way. But sometimes it's important that we understand there is a difference, there's a distinction, even though there's a relationship between faith and belief. If I give it to you as a concept, I would put it uh, put it this way. While all genuine faith involves belief, not all belief necessarily equates to faith. And that sometimes is confusing, and, and especially sometimes even in the way that the Bible is using the two words that are interchangeable, because faith, which is what we need in order to be able to experience God's grace, in order to be renewed, to be transformed, to be encouraged, to be empowered, is not the same thing as saying yeah, I believe this and look down a menu of things and I I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe as if those are the positions that we have. Genuine faith does believe but believing itself doesn't necessarily equate to faith. James, as he writes in his epistle, he tells us, look, even the demons believe. The demons believe that Jesus was the one that God sent, that Jesus was the one who was going to save God's people, that he was God who had come in the flesh. The demons believe, but it doesn't do any good for them because while they believe, they didn't have faith. And so what's the question then is, well, then what is faith? The best way I, I know to illustrate it is in this way, There's, uh, through, through a story from history. I don't know how many of you know the name uh, Charles Blondin. It certainly was not a household name, but Charles Blondin was a French tightrope uh, walker and an acrobat in the late uh, 19th century. He was the first man ever to cross the Niagara Gorge on a tightrope. He did that first in, in 1859 and then subsequently many, many times uh, afterwards. And he did a number of things when he would cross uh, that. In order to draw a crowd, he he did it rather theatrically. I would think just walking itself would be quite frightening, but as he he did it, and I guess, you know, to keep it interesting, he would perform a, a number of theatrical or or, um, acrobatic acts as he would go across. He he would uh, walk across uh, the the gorge with, um, you know, one time he did it blindfolded, He, he did it on stilts. There was one time he took a chair and out in the middle of the gorge, he stood on the chair with one leg of the chair on the rope and he balanced and stood on that and then completed his walk. Another time he went out, he went out in the middle of there, sat down on the rope and ate an omelette, made the completion of, the, of his rope, and he, and he came back. And so he, he would do these things, he would draw a crowd, and I guess that's where the money came, or at least the, the notoriety. And so he'd done it many times. And as the story goes, there was one time after he had made this trip many, many times, and, and, and uh, people were told that uh, Blondin's here, he's gonna make his trip across the, the gorge again and the crowds came out and Blondin turned to them and uh, he, he looked at the, at the gorge and he looked at the rope and he asked everybody there, he said, how many of you believe that I can make it across this? And the crowd just roared their affirmation, you know, applauding and cheering, looking forward to seeing him going across. And he said, how many people believe I can go across and carrying a wheelbarrow? And they all applauded, because he'd done that before. He'd gone before, sometimes he carried different objects. He's carried a load of rocks across, so that it was heavy, and he would go across there. And they'd seen, they, they knew, how many of you believe that I, I can make it across with a wheelbarrow? And they said, they, they believed that. And he said, how many of you believe that I could carry a man across? And every one of them said, absolutely. We're excited. They wanted to see it. They're looking around. And he said, then who will volunteer? <laughs> Silence. Until one man named Harry Colcord, who happened to be Blondin's manager, a man who knew him best, he stepped forward. And Blondin carried him across and brought him back. You see, the crowd believed. They had reason to believe. They'd seen it, they'd heard about it, they recognized it, but only Colcord had faith. He was willing to rest and trust in the abilities of Charles Blondin. There's a difference between faith and belief. They are related. And the writer of Hebrews is calling us not only to believe, but for a belief that leads us to rest in what Jesus has done and to rest in Jesus regardless of the circumstances that we face in our life. He's calling us to a life that is lived by, and is shaped by, and is comforted by faith. Not blind faith which just says, okay, I believe therefore this is going to happen. But faith in the substance of God's promise. The substance of God's provision of Jesus Christ. And every promise that God has made that is ours by believing, by having faith, by resting in Christ himself.
1: And the writer of Hebrews says,
0: this is is faith. This is the way that we're to live. And he's writing with people who are experiencing significant challenges, difficulties, hardships in, in their life. People who are experiencing things that would make them rethink and ask themselves the question, what do I really believe? What am I really trusting in?" But through them, he's also asking us that same question, or he's challenging us to ask this question, in what is my faith? And all of this letter is pointing us back to the reasons that we ought to, and the reasons that we are able to have faith, rest, trust in Jesus Christ, and see how that will impact every aspect of our life and every relationship that we have. The writer of Hebrews then says that there's there's some things that that go along with that. And and even in these first verses, he says in verse two, it's by by faith, he says by it, but by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And that's an important thing for us to know. Well, many commentators have noted that this chapter is called the Great Faith Chapter, many of you who are Bible students also know that this chapter is also often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. When you think of Hall of Fames, you may think of you know, Cooperstown, New York for the Baseball Hall of Fame, or Canton, Ohio, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Cleveland, Ohio for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What those towns are for their respective uh, sports or, or art. Hebrews 11 is considered to be for God's covenant people. But sometimes I think that that idea of this being the Faith Hall of Fame is a distortion that may inspire us for a moment, but it ultimately discourages when we find ourselves in times of difficulty. Because we think about Hall of Fame and who gets into the Hall of Fame? Well, those who are considered to be the greatest at whatever it is that they do the greatest in rock and roll history or the greatest in baseball history and, you know, and others debates, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame and all those other things, who doesn't get in? And actually the whole Pete Rose debate would be a better discussion for, for those of you who don't know, Pete Rose was a tremendous baseball player who was also not such a tremendous individual. Not, uh, then he was, was a manager, he was caught betting on baseball, banned from me and everything else. So, you know, they got this guy who was great at what he was doing and at the same time not a particularly great person. That's actually the kind of person that we need to consider when we think of the Hall of Fame. Because when we look at this roster of people uh, that we have here listed in Hebrews chapter 11, it's very easy to stand in all of them and consider the tremendous things that they did by faith. And many of them are, are listed here, uh, the, the points to them. But we, we lose sight of the reality that every one of these people was significantly flawed. And some of them had some major, major failures. If by our standards of Hall of Fame, we would probably keep them out of the Hall of Fame. One of the things that we need to see in this chapter is that these people were all sinners who were in need of God's grace. They received the grace not because of their superior moral character, but because they believed in God's promise of Jesus Christ. And that belief shaped what they did. And as the writer here says in, in verse 3, and they were all commended, not because of their achievement, but because their faith, the belief that they rested in. And when we look at it that way, we, we can recognize that when we fail, when we struggle, when we are hurting, when we even are doubting, it's not about our accomplishment. It's about where do we turn? Where are we trusting? Are we trusting God to be true to himself and true to his promises? It's so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, faith, they rested, they were commended because of their faith. And he says in verse six, it's something else that's significant for us to remember too, is without faith, it's impossible to please God. In other words, these people could have been Hall of Fame caliber individuals in whatever their work or whatever community they lived in. They may have been the best people that had ever lived. They weren't. But even had they been, no matter what they had accomplished, no matter what they had achieved, the writer of Hebrews says, if they hadn't had faith, God wouldn't have been pleased with them. And we need to remind ourselves in a culture that kind of chips into what it means to be godly, even though... uh, they, they're not rooting it in the Bible and thinking about, well, good people, people who have accomplished great things. And assuming that there's a place in heaven. I remember several years ago when several, a number of soldiers had been killed in uh, an American war. Uh, the sitting president at the time uh, met the planes in Dover where the, uh, the deceased uh, are, are, are brought back into American soil. In the speech that he gave, he said, we know there's a place in heaven for them because of the nobility of the cause for which they gave their lives. And I don't want in any way to denigrate the, the, that, and, and certainly as anyone who's an American is, is beneficial for those who have given their lives. But to declare that someone has found a place in heaven because of that accomplishment or because of what they have done is totally contrary to what the scripture says. The scripture says that while what they may have done is impressive and may have been important and may have benefited many people, if they did it and didn't have faith, And God's not pleased. And then we remember that these people that are listening to this Hall of Fame, with their significant failures, they are commended, they are received because they had faith. When we fail, when we feel that we just don't measure up, we can be encouraged. Because it is by faith, it is with faith, that God is pleased. And so it's important that we understand what faith defined but we also need to recognize faith displayed perhaps the best way i can illustrate what the writer of hebrews is trying to say here is with uh, there's a there's there's a virtual game that many of you have probably seen maybe have participated in it's called the uh, the the, uh, the the tell me challenge if you've not seen it it's all over internet and uh different social media platforms and the whole idea of the tell me challenge is tell me something without telling me and and so it may be you know tell me you live in williamsburg without telling me this is that's where you live and so you might see somebody put on a three-point hat tell me that you are the last child in a big family and then somebody might kind of pull out a family photo album and there's only two pictures of that particular kid you know while there's a whole bunch of every other person and the whole point is to tell me something, not using words, but tell, tell us something and, and to illustrate that. And the writer of Hebrews is essentially saying the same thing. The Apostle John puts it in, in, a, in a more succinct way than, uh, than 40 verses. He said, Let us love not in word or talk, but with actions and in truth. And, and that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Those who have faith, faith works. And then the writer of Hebrews, he kind of personifies that, and he goes through and explains the different ways, the different ways that faith then shapes lives and then expresses itself in the day-to-day conduct of God's people. And this is important for us to understand and, and also to get straight in in terms of our minds so that we can we can cling to it. Because there's many, many people that are... Bible students or committed to the church that have had this idea that somehow there's this there was this great debate between the apostle Paul and James, the, the biological half brother of Jesus, who was also the the leader of the the church in, in Jerusalem. You know, Paul clearly emphasizes that justification comes by grace through faith. That's actually a quote of of what Paul has written, and and he never moves from that. He he's just constant. in in making sure that we understand that salvation is from God, we believe, we drink in God's grace through the straw, and that's how we're reconciled in all of the promises that that we have. And and then James says this, though. In James chapter 2, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food or their house has been wiped out by a hurricane, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for their body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so many people kind of say, well, Paul's saying it's by faith alone. God's grace through faith alone, and we are made right with God through faith alone. And here's James saying, yeah, this is you know you talk about having your faith and if you don't do anything then that faith is not and so people assume that Paul that James is saying you know works along with your faith are what bring us in right relationship with god that's that's what god is calling for and and there just seems to be this debate and and, and people miss this that there is no debate. The Apostle Paul, and the Bible is is not divided, not, there's no contradiction in what Paul is saying, because Paul also, as he wrote to Galatians, which is the first of the letters that he wrote, he says this, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And to summarize it, Paul's saying, you know, go through all the religious rituals you want, uh, even the ones that God has prescribed, circumcision at that point, circumcision, uncircumcision, it, the only thing that matters is faith that expresses itself through love, and, and love is expressed in a, in a tangible way to the people who are around. Paul is saying very succinctly the same thing that James is saying, that uh, the genuine faith works, or as the old cliche that is worth remembering says, is the, 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 the faith that, we, that saves us is by grace alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. In other words, faith true faith, faith that is drawing upon God's grace, faith that is resting in God's provision, produces in us characteristics, evidence that we are truly resting, that we truly belong to Jesus Christ. And over and over and over again in the scripture, we, we see all of the apostles speaking about this whole thing, rooted on the foundation of you are believers, you believe, you it, then, these are the characteristics that we are encouraged to. The Apostle John, it's often love one another and love love your neighbor. Uh, John, known as the apostle of love. You believe, then let that be evident. Tell me that you believe. Tell me that you have faith in Jesus Christ without telling me, well, loving others is one of the ways. The Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. It's expressed through love. He's just love for God, love for others. James, practical way of meeting other needs. The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing here, and he, but he's using it by giving a number of illustrations and saying that genuine faith is resting in Christ and God's promises that are in Christ, regardless of the circumstances. But genuine faith then has a way of shaping us in our desires, in our values, and in our direction. And it begins to out and begins to show. It reminds, tells the world. It's a testimony to the world of what we believe. And it's a testimony to us as well. Because the way that we live our lives is an indication of what we really, truly believe. And as we go through here, we see the evidence of that. And so I want to do something a little bit different before I wrap up this morning. Rather than reading the passage at the beginning, I want to read it now that you've had these lenses by which to look at this passage through. I just want to read through. I, I, you know, I, I don't plan on stopping and commenting. I may comment a little bit, but just listen to what the argument, listen to the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews gives to the original readers as to us as well. And I'm going to just read through all 40 verses. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events, Uh, yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he is commended, uh, uh, he commended the world um, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them with a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, all the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, and enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's a lot there. It's important that we understand and see what the lenses that the writer is speaking about because many, many people have been confused. They read these things and and, and some of the things that were cited and they take them out of the historical context and they're assuming that because someone had faith big enough they were able to, to do something, it's not about mustering. It's about resting, resting in the promises of God, which is what these people had done. And then tremendous things happen in their circumstances. It is not a promise that if they had faith, therefore all things would go well, because that's what the writer of Hebrews at the end is saying. And so those people, the prosperity gospel people that would tell you, if you just have faith big enough, well, then how would these people be in the hall of fame when it says at the end, these people who are listed as having faith, they endured hardship and persecution, and some were stoned, and some were... You know, I think that would be fundamental to say clearly their faith wasn't that big, or because I, I don't know about you, but that would be the first thing I would believe. You know, um I would rather not have those things happen to me. But genuine faith shapes a people in order to be able to live in peace with God and, and, and a measure of peace regardless of the, uh, the circumstances that they're in. And we see, I think. Three things here in particular, and I'm not going to note, uh, elaborate on them, but three things that we see as a pattern in all of these people. One is we see that faith leads to, genuine faith leads to obedience. Whether that's in worship as it was with Abel or whether that was with Abraham who, who was going over and over and over again, we see genuine faith led these people to obey God because they trusted him. Even when circumstances would look, make what God said seem to be foolish. So genuine faith leads to obedience as we look to our own life when we are, know what God is saying and, and it seems to be foolish. One of the ways that we can examine whether or not we are resting in God is whether we're willing to live the way he says rather than the way that would give us the least resistance. We see here that faith gives identity. Particularly we see that for, for Moses, which is, you know, he could have had... Everything. He could have been considered the son of the Pharaoh or the grandson of the Pharaoh, son of the Pharaoh's daughter, but he didn't consider that identity to have everything worth even being suffering for being identified with Christ, whom he believed was to come. And all of these people were identified because of their faith. Faith identifies us as being the people of God. Our identity, it shapes our identity. In Venom we see that all of these people are examples of people who had hope, in a better future, which influenced their experience in the present. Because hope is inseparably linked. Biblical hope is inseparably linked with faith. Biblical hope is the promise of God that is yet to be experienced. But because God has promised it, it's as good as done. And so hope, biblically speaking, is faith focused forward. Faith is believing in what God has done and God has provided and what God has promised. And all of these three things are are characteristic that the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage his readers, to cultivate within their lives. Because faith is absolutely essential. Faith is essential to enable us to continue on regardless of the circumstances that we have. And he says something that's interesting here as he's encouraging the, 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 the original readers. He repeats it, actually, that none of the people who are in this passage receive the fullness of the promise. They only receive the down payment. They didn't receive the fullness of what they believed because every one of them died prior to the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But their hope was the same. They hoped, believed, focused forward in what God would do because God had promised the Messiah who would reconcile them, who would make all things right. And then he says, interestingly enough, in these last verses, but God has provided something better for us. See, we don't have to only have hope that God will be faithful to his promises, but we are able to look back in verifiable history that God has been faithful, he has provided, that Jesus Christ was born, Jesus Christ was crucified, and Jesus Christ has been resurrected. And our faith is simply focused on that truth and then every other promise from God falls into perspective. And he says he has something better for us but at the same time, it's the same thing because he says, as he wraps this up, salvation has always been the same. He didn't want them to be perfected apart from us or us perfected apart from them because salvation, reconciliation to God, being God's people, being empowered by God has always been by faith in God's provision of the Messiah. Now, you may say, I don't have that faith. I'm wrestling with that. I don't, I don't really have that. Just two things that we need to understand here, and I will wrap it up then. First, over and over and over again, we see in the scriptures that faith is a gift. Paul says it most succinctly, is that it's for by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's a gift from God, not a result of works that no one may boast, for we're God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, for the good works for which God is preparing us that we would walk in him. In other words, it is a, a gift of God, and so We don't muster the faith. We turn our attention to who God is and we ask ourselves, do I believe in God? Do I believe that God is true to himself? Do I believe that God is true to his promise? Have I experienced God's promise? In what ways has God been faithful? When we look at the things that we believe, it fortifies a faith that we are able then to rest in. And the second, it's important that we notice this is because it's been said that faith is much more like a muscle than it is like a light switch. In other words, so many people live and where they struggle is this, is they don't really think much about their faith until they need their faith, but then their faith seems to fail because they think that they can just flick on the switch because I need it right now. But faith is much more like a muscle that unless it is exercised on a regular basis, unless it sometimes is overwhelmed and and, and brought to exhaustion, it is not going to grow and it's not going to be there and it's not going to serve you when you need it. And so there are times that you experience and your faith seems to fail, but you return to it. That's the exhaustion of your muscle of faith that enables you to see how God has provided for you so that you are stronger when you face the next circumstance. That means that faith must be exercised by reminding yourself of who God is and trusting what God has done over and over and over again. That's just kind of like the protein that your muscle needs so that it's able to grow and grow strong and be sustaining when you find difficulties. And as we commit ourselves, as the writer of Hebrews is saying to these people, to living by faith, by saying, Lord, I don't see it, but I will trust you. Lord, you have been faithful in the past, and so therefore I believe that you can carry me not just across a gorge, but across the storm. Whatever it is in life. It's when we make that discipline, that practice, and we continue to feed our faith day in and day out that we have faith that makes it not only easy to believe when times are good, but faith that will even amaze us when times are tough. May God grant us faith. Lord, bless us, we pray. Thank you for this word that is the foundation and is the food for our faith. And we pray that we would be a people who would diet regularly upon it, that you would strengthen us, and that you would renew us. Lord, continue your work upon your people. We pray for your glory in Christ. Amen.